welcome back to Rock Bottom to Recovery Podcast. I'm Shane. I'm Bill Farrell. Um, we have a special guest, Adam Jasinski. Yes, he is the former winner of Season 9, Big Brother. He's an interventionist, public speaker, life coach, and author. Uh, absolute wild man, but he is in recovery. He's had his rock bottoms, and uh, I'm super excited to have him on the show. If you guys want to call in or if you guys have questions and need help, you can call one 888 That's one 888 And we have a uh, listener here, my buddy Drew Ledoux. He is, uh, he's listening in on the show. Um, honestly, we, we started the show um, out of inspiration, out of inspiration to help other people. Um, I'm really looking forward to having more guests on the show, but I'm telling you right now, I met Adam in person. Uh, first, I spoke to Adam, and then I met him in person, and he is awesome, but he's wild. So, um, <coughs> And it's great that he's in recovery. It's great to know that uh, people like that can be in recovery. Uh, people like myself can be in recovery, and people like yourself can be in recovery um, if you want it, if you need it, and if you have willingness to uh, achieve it. So. But don't stop. No. D- don't stop being in recovery. No, no. You don't, uh, but you are in recovery when you say you are. So don't let others judge you. Um, if you needed to take medication just to listen to the show or just to get up in the morning just to get to your next destination, um, if you're trying to make progress and strides in your life, don't let other people judge you on your path. Well said. Uh, well know? said, Jay. So um, we are Facebook Live, Instagram Live. I don't even think we're having any followers on the I don't even what? care. That's crazy. We got it's some not, followers right here. Julie, on, uh, Facebook Julie's Facebook. watching. Took the label off. Awesome. So, All right. So listen. Uh, wait. What episode is this, Shane? This is uh, episode four. Last week, I had a dip off mid-conversation um, towards the end because I almost <clears throat> peed my pants. Uh, Oh, I didn't know, like, uh, so just so everybody knows, I I can only speak for Facebook Live, but when you took off, I just explained to um, the crew where you had to go. Yeah, so so I actually have, well, what you guys don't see is I just have a huge bucket under me, so... (laughs) Uh, and I have no pants on. Well, this this episode just got awkward. So <laughs> I actually do have pants. If on. you hear flowing water, <laughs> I yes. don't know what else to tell you. Yeah. <laughs> so so um, uh, what do you have over there, Bill? <clears throat> well, again, we just want to throw like as far as me, Bill Farrell. You see how I pronounced my R's because I know I have a couple of people uh, from uh, the West Coast listening in. But as we would say here in Boston, Bill Farrell. Um, but. Um, I belong to uh, Holbrook Cares. Uh, we are a, um, a coalition in this town just um, um, trying to make a difference, bring education and awareness to the community. Holbrook, um, about Massachusetts. Holbrook, Massachusetts. It's Holbrook Cares. Um, so we are discussing what we can do about the drug epidemic in the area. We meet every first Tuesday of every month at Holbrook Town Hall at 7 p.m. That's every first Tuesday of every month. We also have a drop-in center that we're uh, coordinating with um, the town of Avon. Um, and the drop-in center goes um, um, the second Monday of every month, 6 to 8 p.m. at the Brookville Baptist Church. In Avon, it's the fourth Monday of every month, 6 to 8, and that's at the uh, Council on Aging. And basically, that drop-in center has um, clinicians, um, NACAN training, and all the resources if you uh, were looking to um, get a little bit more information and possibly um, um, get some help. Um, so we'll be there, and um, you know, I think um, with that. Oh, and you know also what? I just want to thank Adam for being patient. Um, we are yeah. going to get him on the show. Um, we just have a couple things that we need to 
Um, One more thing to announce, and then we'll yes. grab Adam. Um, so April 1st, uh, we're doing a comedy uh, night to benefit the Edwina Martin House. Um, and that's um, located in Broughton. Adam's calling in right now. Adam's calling in right now. So. Um, it's going to be at the IBEW Hall in Dorchester. Y- you know it. You know yeah. where it's at. It's got the big billboard out front. And um, and that's going to raise money for um, <clears throat> that's the Women that's in Recovery, bad. the Graduate House. Um, and um, let's see. There's a uh, Michael Pettit. That's who us, has, not Adam, right? Yeah, Michael Pettit. Adam, can you hear us? Yeah, can you, see, can you hear me? He's very low. Adam, can you uh, touch the video screen on yours? Adam, can you touch the video screen on yours and put it on video? That's Lexi. I don't know if you guys just caught that. That was Lexi. That was my right dog. Which way this video goes? Hold on a second. All right, hold on. He's very low, though. Can we? There he is. What's up, Adam? <laughs> so this is Adam Jasinski, uh, winner um, of season nine, Big Brother. I got that right, right? Is there any way to possibly? Adam, we can't see your face. I'm trying to move into the boxes. They're backwards here. If I move left, it goes right over there. All right. Well, maybe if you could spin around and get the light. Yeah, the light is what's blocking your... Uh... Hold on a second. Let me fix my thing. Hold on. All right. As Adam does that, let me finish uh, about this um, comedy show we have going at the IBEW in Dorchester. Um, uh, it's being put on by the Edwina Martin House, and they want to raise money um, to... Um, um, get another graduate house. And basically what that is is if you get into recovery, women, this this place is for women. If you get into recovery, you go to the Edwina Martin House. And once um, you've completed the Edwina Martin House, you go to the graduate house. And they found great success with the graduate house. So now they want to step it up and they want to bring in another graduate house um, just to help out more women. So um, with that said, we're going to turn it over. Right. And um, So this is uh, Adam Jasinski, uh, season nine, Big Brother, correct? Yeah, season nine. Is that is that image good? Am I okay? That's excellent, yeah, you, Adam. It's you perfect. You look handsome, Adam. You look I, like you just came right, from the gym. You guys look a little blurry from my end here. And my bottom right, you're nice and clear. And the top middle is all blurry, but we'll go with it. No, right? it's all right. I was just telling people, too, that uh, you almost missed this interview because you were in the gym. And I uh, yeah. I called you mid-squat. <laughs> oh, well, there they are. Uh, guns. Go. Sons out, guns out, dude. <laughs> So, uh, Adam, welcome to the Rock Bottom to Recovery Show. Um, thank you for uh, being patient with us. And um, so the, the whole purpose behind the show is is to basically outline your journey from Rock Bottom to Recovery um, and, and touch on a little of what you're doing now for, for your recovery community and, and for yourself and for your own personal growth. Yeah, man. Oh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> Technical difficulties. It happens. This is... Yeah. That's all right, Adam. This is this is the excitement of going live. Yeah. So. Uh, is that better? Yeah. Yeah. So so Adam. All right. So the other thing too, you're on Instagram Live and on Facebook Live on on our pages. So I'll send you the links later on. All right. Awesome. All right. So why don't you why don't you just uh, kind of outline your journey and and where it started and and how you even uh. You know, how it started and, and, you know, how'd you get on the show as well? Yeah, you know? that's a great well, question. Aside from I the mean, smile. So you, know, you know me for, for quite a little bit now, and uh, you know I'm freaking out there. Yeah. So, for me, it took a while to get, you know, my life in order and be somewhat decent. I was a 30-year-old child, I guess, running around like a maniac. 
for most of my life. And at 30, I guess, they found me for Big Brother somehow, some way. You know, I was out there actively getting fucked up. I mean, I guess when Big Brother came to cast me, they surprised you with, like, a key to the house. So they take us to this bowling alley in Boca, and they're like, surprise, you're on the show. I'm like, hold on one minute. Let me go to the car and get the drugs out of my pocket. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I ended up taking advantage of the situation. I was on drugs my whole life until Big Brother. I was pretty much never sober. So I was 30, I was 29 years old then. And um, Can you hear? Selling drugs, yeah. doing drugs, just that was it was my whole life. Can you guys hear me okay? Yeah, I can hear you. Yeah, yep. we can hear you, but can yeah. they hear him? They can hear him. It's recording, yeah. Oh, they can't hear him? Okay. Okay. All right, so no one can... All right, so so sorry about the interruption. This is what, what happens when we go live. So let me ask you something. How old were you when you first started getting high? 13, 14. Was it just uh, influenced by older kids, or was it curiosity, or... or I remember the first time I smoked weed, the dude had a whole big bag of it, and I was like, give me the whole thing. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. that type of mentality. I was yeah. like, I want all of it. I was like, I'll figure out how to get this for free. Yeah. And yeah. that was it. And so, that was it. I mean, I was never really bad on heroin. Never really shot any <clears> drugs. But just for me, it was the adrenaline rush, the whole feel, the whole scene, the fun of it, the excitement, the getting away with shit is what I love. Just so, uh, just, just to reach out, because... Don't worry about that. Yeah. So... Uh, we are working on the sound. We're going to get the sound up and rolling for Adam. But we can hear it, and we're recording yeah, uh, yeah. it. And so if we can't get so, it live, So the other thing, to too, is it. I went on AdamJasinski.org, and it says you're an interventionist, public speaker, life coach. Um, how, now, and it also says you're an author. Is it just blogging, or do you have a book? Or um, the, book, the book's out in the car, but if you want to see over here, this is, the, this is the workstation over here, if you can see much. I got, like... I read every single book there is on addiction. They're all here. I got one here. This is this is the one clean, I guess, is one of the popular ones. I pretty much read every single book there is on addiction. And I'm actually putting together the final. Let me go this way. It's there you bad. go. Yeah, much better. Yeah. yeah, it's a double dip here. When I go one way, it goes the other way, and I'm Polish, so it fucks me all up, man. <laughs> so. For me, I ended up. Oh, let me turn this way. Let me help. There we go. Bang. So for myself, I ended up figuring what's out there. What can help people? What's the best way of getting across to parents? Because most of the phone calls I get are the mom and the dad. You know, they're the ones that are using drugs. They don't want to stop getting high. You know, who wants to do that? So the book I got coming out is called um, "My Kids on Drugs Now What." So it's we lost them in the headphones. Guy to help the moms and dads out there get their kid through the process. So we lost them in the headphones. Working on Adam, it. we're having some technical difficulties. Can you hear me? You can hear me? Yeah, I can hear you. Can you hear me? All right, so let, let me let me ask you. So you have an interesting story about being on uh, season nine. You said uh, when we first met, you said you were, you were uh, in full active addiction when you uh, went on the show and continued through the yep. show. So can you can you outline a little of that being on the being on the show and in active addiction? Uh, well, when the show got out, I was in there for three months, and if you're in there, the longer you're in, I was there for three months. I won the show, and I ended up not using the whole entire time I was there. 
So I was like, great, I'm going to get out, I got all this money, I'm going to be sober. And that night, I was doing perks and coke. So. <laughs> so, I was just going to say, so, <clears throat> Adam, leading up to the Big Brother, what was your, what was your, um, <clears throat> like, how did you start um, getting into a life of um, addiction? Like, what, like, well, what age? Said, like, like, like Shane mentioned, when I was younger, it was... It was, I was always classified, for me, as the big issue is mental health is my big component, and that's my big thing, what I do now, is major, major mental health. Um, for me, it was, I was manic, and everyone thought I was ADD. And back in, I guess, the late 90s, early 2000s, ADD was the big thing. You know, everyone's like, oh, he's ADD, and wrote it off as that. Now everyone says it's bipolar, but for me, it just fueled it. You know, the drugs are what you know, fit for me at yeah. that age. So when I was at, you know, 13, 14, 15 years old, I just started using drugs and it just never stopped, you know, one way or the other, whether I was more so not like the fall down drunk type of an addict. I was more so the functioning guy. I always had drugs in my pocket, whether it's pills or Coke or going out and drinking. There's always something in my day to day up until, you know, till big brother after big brother. And like it says with addiction, it's like it waits for you, you know, like, it didn't go away. I was three months clean with just abstinence, and I got out, and it picked up worse than it was when I started. Yeah. Yeah. So you talk about um, mental health, and um, I, that's a huge thing that I, I, I'm always um, an advocate for is misdiagnosis. Um, you know, in the 90s, um, they used to uh, diagnose a lot of kids with ADD, even though it, it later to find out that it was Asperger's. Same, same with you. Like they'll medicate you the wrong way and continue to medicate you. And you and I had spoken about, um, you know, for for years you were struggling in recovery because you still couldn't label what was going on, even though you were you were clean and sober. Um, can you? Exactly. Can you? Can you? Um, for someone listening, um, so it's just you know, one of my questions is: substance abuse treatment field is a fast-growing business. What if it didn't exist in, in, in abundance the way it does today? What advice would you give someone seeking for underlying causes? What, what, what advice? What... Shane, what happened to me is I was up in your neck of the woods in Massachusetts. I got locked up. That's where I got arrested, and that was where my rock bottom was. So I ended up going to a program called Spectrum in Massachusetts, and that's where I did the drug recovery. Yeah. After I got clean off the drugs... You know, the fog was lifted. I was like, something's still not right. And that's where I share with you. I was struggling because, yeah, I'm clean. Yeah, I'm sober, but I'm still fucking crazy. So for me, I was able to source out that independent program strictly for mental health. So for me, it was a two-way street. You know, it was one lane was substance abuse and handling my addiction, like a true dual diagnosis. But I treated them separately instead of in one program. Absolutely, absolutely, and and a lot of it is, you know, you know, a kid will walk in, um, and and they have eating disorder. Uh, they might be cutters. They might, you know, like you say, bipolar. Bipolar is a huge thing. Um, I have family family members with misdiagnosed bipolar, and they don't want to take the yeah. they don't want to take the medication because they say it makes them feel different, not realizing that the way they are um, is probably not normal. 
You know what I mean? But it's it's hard because you don't <laughs> no, but you it's hard because you don't have the right type of people talking to you. You know, you don't have that. You, right. you, you know, you walk into a, a treatment facility that specializes in substance abuse. They label themselves a, a dual diagnosis, but it's the furthest furthest thing from the truth. It's more holistic. You know, sit on the hammock, and even though your bipolar might come on or, or trigger or you have AD, ADD problems, the hammock will carry you. You know, the free yeah, ice cream I mean, machines. Yeah, I mean, what it is sometimes is they automatically medicate you. You know what I mean? Like, for me, I dried out totally. I got rid of every drug, every pill, every every single drug, period. I was clean and sober with nothing. I didn't even smoke cigarettes. So, for me, I actually got my true zero baseline. And a lot of these centers will throw you on gabapentin, they'll throw you on something real fast to treat the dual diagnosis. <clears throat> Yeah, they they you need to find that mania. You need to see that that mania is still there or that depression is still there. Once you're I was 6 months sober, 7 months sober when I did that. So I so for me, I knew exactly what I felt, exactly how my body felt, my natural me cuz so many young kids are like poly addicts. They don't just do heroin. You know what I mean? They do everything. There's six uh, every top should put yeah. 70 drugs in it when you get overdosed. Yeah. So I, how do you know what's really you? Yeah, absolutely. So can you can you uh, in a shortened version, I I know from what I've read about bipolar um, that you can almost feel it coming on. Can you can you can can you go through like maybe like a quick five step like way from where you feel it to coming on to how you and um, you engage it and then when you can feel it kind of dissipating in a way. Damn good question, Shane. Damn good question for me. My therapist now, I'm going to be eight years, so I've been dealing with this, this bipolar stuff in October, it's going to be eight years, so I found, my key was, A, I found a really good therapist, you know, I went through like seven or eight of them until I found a guy that was like me when he was younger, you know, he, he was in the movies, he did, he did what I did, so what he told me is, I need to be aware of being aware, I don't know if it makes sense, but to me, it does, so I'm aware of how I feel, I'm aware of when I'm like thinking about the go-go bar. Or I'm aware of when I'm thinking about, you know, wanting to go out and tear it up. I'm aware of when I'm getting too hyped or talking too fast, up all night. If I get a business idea and I just run with it, it's I just, for me before, I would go, 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 go and burn out. Now, like, you know me, after 4 o'clock, 5 o'clock, I'm You shut gone. it down, I yeah. shut down. Yeah. You know, I get very good sleep, and those are kind of the, the tricks they teach you, you know, to make it better, so... Being aware, you can feel it. Like my, my speech will speed up, you know. I'll get very restless. I'll start, you know, my mind will bounce from one place to the next, and you can feel it coming. Um, and that's why when I kind of came off the medication, my medication management, if you want to get into that real fast, for me, it took five years to figure it out. I was dead sober, clean. Then I went to the University of Pennsylvania and started getting on a med management program. And even while I was away, I still stuck to it, and I fine-tuned in that combination of medications where I was comfortable. You know, that took about two years, and then I took that same meds every fucking day for three, four years, man. You know, so it made it work. And then after that time, I started cutting them out. You know, I was on three different medications. I started cutting the heavier stuff out, and I keep it in the closet. So if I do get really manic nowadays, I know I, can, I, know I have it there if I need it. I haven't taken any... You know, like the Zyprex or the heavier stuff in like a couple years now. But my doctors recommend they're like, you need to be aware of seeing the coming. So 
it's a honed skill to see it coming. It takes practice. But if you, that makes sense. So it does actually, Adam, and it's and like you said, it's a long process. Um, so yeah, <clears throat> like you can get off drugs and get a job and be normal and and even seven, eight months a year. Yeah. Sometimes you know, but the mental health component is you know. If you're just mental health is one thing, but drug addiction is enough in itself, you know? It's hard enough to stay sober and not get high all the time, but to, you know, have an underlying disorder that you know nothing about, and you're trying to rewrite how you've been living the last, in my case, 30, 35 years. So, Adam, like, trying to find that balance, um, like like you were saying on the, from the mental health side of it, um, what did you do? It has to be frustrating when you're trying to figure out that balance and, and it being it, it takes so long to do. It has to be frustrating. So what would you say to uh, people out there that have um, that might be experiencing it? Like, you know, like you just said, it was almost like, what, a five year uh, before you really began to figure things out. I know you're aware and you, you're kind of working as it goes. But anything that you could suggest as far as just the frustration side of it? Because I'm sure people must say, uh, you know, this isn't working. And, and, and in, that, in that moment could be an opportunity to go backwards instead of forward. So maybe, I don't know, maybe. Yeah. 100% <clears throat> like Shane says, I'm a maniac. I, I, it's fun being bipolar. Yeah. I love it, dude. I'm, I'm always on. I'm always ready to fucking rock. Yeah. <laughs> You're embracing it. I have to, <laughs> I have to say this is when I can rock and roll. Yeah. This is when I can't. You know what I'm saying? So for me, I had to learn how to dictate my own life. It's not, I live in my own boundaries now. I don't have someone set my boundaries. I know when I get up, I get up and I go hard. I get up at eight, nine o'clock in the morning and go hard till five o'clock. Yeah. You know, and I just burn myself out. So when I come home, it's like, wow, I had a rewarding day. I did stuff for myself. And then for me, another trick I have is I always plan stuff out. Because as a drug addict, I always want instant gratification. You know, as uh, someone struggling with bipolar mania, I want instant gratification more and more and more. So for me, like, I bought tickets to a magic show next week. I bought tickets to The Price is Right at Carl Springs. And two weeks from now, I'm going to the Florida Keys on April 17th. So for me, having things to look forward to is another way to help manage that. Because it's not like impending doom or what do I got to do now or my life's boring. Like, Can we see? Well, are we going to be able to see see you on The Price is Right? No, I'm going on it. You can buy tickets to go to it. <laughs> yeah, but I, I mean, if you, if you I message know, are us. You I want to see you in the audience, like in an outfit of some sort. Are you going to you gonna spin Are you going to spin the wheel? I'm <laughs> no, I, I, I love how you I love how you talk about like your life is yours to dictate, but your life at the same time is also yours to punish. Like if you don't follow these guidelines that the doctors had set out for you, you're going to be the one suffering, not the doctors, you know, because the doctors are actually going to profit from you coming back saying, hey, it's not working. The other thing, too, is. With you talking about medication management, which, like, you know, you go into an AA meeting and they're like, you know, you're telling them you got all these symptoms and they're like, just, you know, sit down, shut up, do the 12 steps, you'll be fine. And that's the type of message that, listen, it works for personal recovery with the 12 steps, but it doesn't work for mental health disorders. And then you have the same people that just came in off the street from being street pharmacists now telling you that they're, they're qualified to be psychiatric um, uh, evaluators, and they're telling you you don't need these medications, you don't need this. 
And and I swear a lot the stigma that happens is a lot more people I just got into therapy this year. I have six years in recovery. I just got into therapy this year and, and I was suggested yes. to get into it five years ago. And and, and I'm just now cracking oh we lost them. Okay, Adam, you could still hear us, correct? No, we lost them completely. Wow, we are having technical difficulties. But this is it. That's all right. I told you he's a wild man. Oh, he's calling back. He's calling back. Yeah, he's calling back in. Sorry about that. You got us? I think he's coming. Uh oh. Oh. No. Hello? We got you on audio. Come on down. Hit that video button, Adam. My phone started blowing up all of a sudden. Hold on, you there? Yeah. Yeah. This is what we get for going live. It's fine. It's all good, man. It's all Bill, you look kind of handsome back here. You know, Shane, I was thinking the same thing. That's freaky. That's one of those freaky things. All right. Yes, got you back. There he is. So, so, like I was saying, one of the... <laughs> welcome back <laughs> to The Price is Right. <laughs> yeah, so, so one of the things is, like, you see that. A lot of people will stay away from... Uh, I actually just scribbled all over my notes because you know I have problems too. Yeah, um, it does. One of the one of the things is you got a lot of. I stayed away from therapy for a long time because my only suggestion was to do the twelve steps. So twelve steps worked, right? Because that that's my own personal recovery path, but it didn't unlock the psychiatric problems. And what I see with the twelve steps yeah. is it kicks up a lot of dust, and then I have no clue what to do with the dust after it's up in the air. You know, and so I find exactly. I find therapeutic value in therapy. You know, I, I find yeah. that I can get answers from a professional. And I I, yeah. I, 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 I love hearing you talk about this because, yeah. like I say, I have family members um, that struggle with bipolar. And, and if they could hear this message that, you know, there there's a certain lifestyle to live with bipolar, but it is absolutely manageable. And like you say, like, you plan your day out so you're not – because if you're like, I've got nothing to look forward to, those low, low days are going to feel extremely low. You know, and you're going to... Yeah, exactly. And, and for me, Shane, real quick with the 12 step, like I said, I handled my recovery in two lanes, okay? I went to, I did the steps, I went to AA regularly, and I found my sponsor. I was like, who has the most clean time and the nicest car in the parking lot and gets the most chicks? And that's who I hung out with. And that made sense for me. But I just <laughs> treated AA for what AA was. And I treated my mental health therapy for what that was. And for me, I swear to you, I go to the therapist, and if I see him for three, four months, and there's nothing to say, that one month when I fucking dish on this guy, you know, it's worth its weight in gold. Because hearing yourself talk about something to yourself is worth itself. Does it make sense? Yeah. Yes. And I, I, listen, I got to... verbalize what I'm thinking in my head. I got to point this out. It's a big, huge difference. I just want to point this out real quick. It's, this is exactly why we started this podcast, Rock Bottom to Recovery, because um, like Shane said, he was in AA, kicked up the dust, and for five years, he was just, it was dusty. And so now, through his experience, through your experience, we can let those people know that, um, you know, when you start recovery, therapy is a great... Um, yeah. Um, Ther- it, it, basically, <clears throat> therapy and medication yeah. is okay if it's done the right way. You know, I, I and that's it. <clears throat> and it, and it like and you, start, you, you do it after you get the clean time. In my opinion, like you did right, you're sober. Yeah, you're fucking sober, dude. You know what I mean? And then you figured it out. And what happened 
because they automatically treat both at the same time. And for me, I think it's a big no-no. I think it's a bad idea. You need to do the steps. You need to learn about sobriety and be committed to that sobriety. And then it's worth treating the mental health. It's worth doing what you're doing now because it's going to stick. It's going to last. And isn't it kind of right up there with uh, don't? Don't go out with anybody for at least two years. Yeah. <laughs> well, because you, you are. You're really trying to figure You're trying to figure it out. I remember three. I was three months sober at the halfway house in Boston, and um, I was depressed. And uh, I had just tried to get into a relationship 90 days clean, and, you know, I get rejected. And um, I go downstairs, and the psychiatrist is there because the state has to allow a psychiatrist in there. I'm trying to talk about my problems to him, how I'm in pain. And he automatically uh, prescribes me antidepressants. And so I go upstairs and I'm talking to my counselor. I go, look, he just uh, prescribed me antidepressants. He goes, look, Shane, he goes, I'm not saying do or don't. And, uh, you know, the, the guy's passed away. My counselor's passed away now. His name was John Ash. Uh, amazing man. He goes, I'm not saying do or don't. He goes, why don't you give it three months and see how you feel before taking the medication? He couldn't tell me not to take it because that he has to right. follow guidelines. But he, he came from an old school way. And, and no, I didn't get on the, the antidepressants because I didn't know how I was feeling. You know, I, I didn't right. know how to process rejection sober. I didn't know how to process, like, things that happen in life sober. But at the same time, I find myself with certain certain problems where I get the high highs and the low lows and, and mental health disorder, not substance abuse. Substance abuse is a secondary thing in my family, but mental health disorder is something that runs in my family. And, and and where people are saying, oh, don't worry, just treat it with just one way, and then you don't see the results happening from that one way. Um, I, a lot of families, it happens to a lot of families now. Like I say, Asperger's was misdiagnosed up until 1990. They didn't even know what to call it. Now, now we know it's a high form of autism, but it's still misdiagnosed to this day because it's hard to catch. Mm. So... And the, 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 thing, the thing with the medication is, Shane, is you got to be fucking vocal. you got to say how you feel on it. Like, if you don't go, like, I was like, every time I went to my appointment, I said exactly how I feel, exactly if it's too much, exactly if it's not enough, and what it's doing to me. You know what I mean? It's for you. It's the selfish fucking program, man. And for me, I was there to make sure I'm going to feel better every day. I'm not trying to get high off the meds. I'm not trying. I want to function at... 110 percent i want to function at a better me you know and if a little bit of lithium you know helped me to get to that point so be it you know but nothing was abused and i was vocal about how i felt like there was times where they prescribed me too much and i'm like i'm lethargic i hate how i feel right now you know yeah. and i cut back and, and, and the whole med management is it's, it's, it's tricky. It's tricky. It's tricky because a lot of times, you know, kids will depend on the medication and they look forward to taking their meds every day and that's a substitute for the drugs. I mean, it's everyone's own path, so you really can't tell everyone what they should do. But for me, I mean, I just know when my motives were pure. Yeah. Do you find did do you do find that like uh, in your experience in recovery that um, a lot of people um, don't kind of speak up would you think that uh, people you know they go to the doctors and they think uh, this the doctor should know the psychiatrist should know so you just naturally assume that you're getting the good information but the bottom line is you got to speak up you got to talk to them and don't be afraid to do that you know um, I think that's important you know, my mom owns a mental health treatment center here in Florida and at Ocean's Medical, like a lot of kids, I, I, I stop in there all the time. And I'm like, listen, guys, when the, when the psych doctor's here, you got to speak up. Like, don't go in there and sit there and be like, I'm good. But like, 
That doesn't work, you know? You need to say, look, I wake up early, I'm getting good sleep. A is sleep. Sleep is huge in mental health. Yeah. You need to get a solid eight hours of sleep every single night. Actually, yeah, you know what? Hey, but hey, but when we're when we're hustling and running on the streets and thinking, I thought I was no, I, 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 I thought I thought I was Rick Ross, right? But I was 160 pounds, not 360. <laughs> and I used to tell myself, "Sleep's the cousin of death," right? And I found myself up for five days medicating on ecstasy, hallucinating, telling I'm gonna die from lack of sleep. You know? So. I, you know what? Sleep. I was just reading an article on sleep. It is the one of the most important things in your health. So if you're not getting it, and and we always tend to. Uh, we, we actually, that's the one thing that we like to cut. We think, oh, yeah, we'll be fine. We'll get up a few hours. So, I mean, when you're in the in the uh, addiction, and you're not, that's got to even be even worse. So, yeah, so even even in recovery, if you don't sleep, I, uh, I you know, I got put on overnights working in construction. And uh, I was working, you know, days certain days I'd be up for 28 hours because my sleep schedule was off. And then my mind was saying something's wrong with my recovery. And I know that yep. that sounds funny, but I could not process my thought. Pro- I could my my thought process was so messed up because I had lack of sleep. I was deprived, and and then I thought I'm like, man, like if this is what recovery feels like, I don't want to be sober. You know, all these crazy thoughts just from lack of sleep. And your decision making is out the window if you don't make fundamentally sound decisions. Yeah. Proper sleep. Man. Yeah. So let me let me ask you what what um shortly after the show. Because uh, when I first met you, like, just in uh, case people just kind of tuned in. Oh, just, oh, if you just tuned in, uh, this is Adam Jasinski, season nine, big brother, author, interventionist, public speaker, life coach. Good date when you go down to the office in Delray. Yes. Showed up, <laughs> smiling out of his mind. <laughs> um, but uh, you, you, shortly after the show, uh, when I first when I first talked to you, you're like, dude, I'll come on your show, I'll kill it. And then you said, uh, Google me. So I googled you, and um, I mean. I, if you're okay or if you're comfortable talking a little um, about not what happened. I mean, it's not the best, but it is what it is. It is well, your the, story. The, the whole thing, the whole thing with what happened was like it's oh, it's Bob. fascinating because you're. Oh, we lost. Can we you lost him again. Every time a call comes in. Oh, okay. Uh, so I mean, you don't have to like get into detail, but like your rock bottom is fascinating because where you stand today is a complete 180. I'd say 360, but you'd be right back where you started with a 360. Yeah. But you're a 180 of what you used to be, and you've shown that your pathway to recovery doesn't always mimic someone else's, and you have success in yours. So can you touch on a little of what happened sh- like almost right after Big Brother? Well, I got in a Big Brother, and like I said, I thought I was going to be sober, and then my brother's at the hotel room, and he's like, oh, they got an eight ball over there. I'm like, all right, let's go. So it's not that hard. And then I come back to South Florida, and it's the pill mill. I mean, before I yeah. went on Big Brother, I was living in South Florida, and I wasn't in the recovery scene. I was in the, you know, it was the pill mill of the world. It was everywhere. So I got out of Big Brother with 500 Gs, and I'm like, okay, it's easy to get, you know, the MRI machine to pull up to your house. Yeah. So it made it pretty easy just to get scripts and scripts and scripts and scripts of, you know, pills. Yeah. So for me, my warped mind was... You know, having 3,000 pills in the in, in oxys in my house was normal. Yeah. yeah. So. How is it now down there, Adam? What am I going to do with these pills? Everyone's calling and asking for them. So you start selling the pills. And that's what I did for a while. I mean, it was a whirlwind. It was a lot of, after Big Brother, it was a lot of, you know, you're famous. So you win money. Everyone treats you differently. It's, it's, it's all the same cliche shit. 
So I ended up going like to a lot of like appearances, like state fairs and nightclub appearances, where it's all party time after that anyway. So how are you fucking gonna stay sober when they're paying you two grand to go to a nightclub? It doesn't make sense. So between going out and all the pills, my addiction kind of revved up on high gear. So especially when you have that kind of money in the bank, it's easy to go out and buy, you know, yeah. a quarter kilo of cocaine just to keep in the sock drawer. You know what I'm saying? Like fuck it. And um, eventually it spun out so crazy. I got ended up, you know, my my buddy up there is like, yo, fly up here and I'll hook you up and hook it up. And I just, you know, was up for four days straight. You know, when I got locked up, I remember sleeping for like I slept off the withdrawal. I was so tired. So I ended up waking up and I was, you know, the fucked up part, I got arrested. That was my rock bottom. I remember I was more upset that I couldn't do cocaine ever again. Then getting locked up by the federal government, you know, it's fucked up. But yeah, but look at you now. Oh, I, by the way, my mom is a huge fan of season nine, but she just <laughs> recently. So I wait, thought, wait, wait, wait. Is she a huge fan of season nine? No, or she's she a, a huge, huge fan, fan of, of Adam. Brother. No, she's no. Actually, she was like, I. She goes, <laughs> I didn't want Adam to win because oh, he was man. because he was kind of. <laughs> I think she was saying that basically, like he was kind of bullying, like. Basically, like, you bulldozed your way through the show and won. And <laughs> but she, now we know why. <laughs> hey, yeah, so. so, like, but she, and, and she was saying, like, she goes, I think I could win the show. And, like, you said, like, it's all about that manipulation. And, like, you, you said it the other day, like, uh, you know, my addict mentality would help me win the show because I was able to leverage and manipulate. And, yeah. um, so you it, see it, the bullshit coming a mile away. <laughs> It's so, it's so easy. <laughs> you stick a junkie anywhere, you're gonna get the fucking money. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, and uh, and like you say, like so. Let me let me um, I I got a couple questions for you, and and I, if it's not hard to ask, um, but if they come off wrong, so tell me one thing that you learned about yourself while you were in active use. That I'm good at getting what I want. And so, so like, and, and can you elaborate a little on that? Like, um, was I mean, for me, it's, it's, it's a con game. I, I, I could, you know, I could fake, I could fake it. So, like, fake it till you make it. I faked it till I got a bunch of drugs in my pocket. For me, it was just, you know, I learned that I'm good at, I'm good with people. You know, I'm good at getting what I want. I'm good at masking my addiction. I'm good at, you know, people thought it was fine. It thought it was just full of energy, I guess. So for me, it wasn't like, like I said, it wasn't like a fall down drunk. But from my active addiction, I learned more about myself and who I am and enjoying life and having a good time and growing up was put on the back burner for so many years. So for me, like life now to change it a little bit is like I like doing grown man shit and like hanging out and doing I never did it forever. You know, so like yeah. going to a show for me is like the newest, funnest thing versus, you know, going to the bar is the last thing. Like I was in CVS on Friday. And there's this kid all dressed up, ready to go out. And I'm like, good luck, pal. You know what I mean? Because I just don't need to deal with that no more. I don't need to put the pants on and a nice shirt to go out drinking Friday night. No. Come home on Monday. No, I, I mean, even now, like, uh, a social thing for me is, like, uh, if I go out to eat, I, I get anxiety sometimes, and I'll plow through my food. You know, like, I, I don't know where it comes from, but I plow through my food. My girlfriend's like, can you slow down and wait for me? And my plate is almost – my plate is usually gone by the time she's halfway through. And yep. it's just – it's because I'm devouring the food to get myself out of that. I want that check almost immediately when they put my meal down. 
I want the meal faster. You know, as soon as I order the meal, I expect it to have it on my table because I'm like, I can't believe I have to sit here longer and longer. And I don't know where it builds up from. Um, anxiety is a real thing. Uh, you know, it's not it something. It to me too, Shane. Like, seriously, my girl, like, she deserves to go out and do stuff, but I just don't like doing it anymore. Like, for me, it's like. It's the la- I want to go on my dirt bike. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Away from everyone and just to, like so you can kind of vibe out. So let me tell you. Let me ask you: Is that what's one truth that you learned about yourself in recovery? I just I learned everything new about myself in recovery. For me, it was it's a whole new. It's not like my mom. Like you know, it's the worst when your parents are like, "I'm so proud of you. You're doing so great." Like, no, mom, leave me the fuck alone. You know what I'm saying? But. <laughs> She's like, you're a new Adam. I'm like, shut up and don't ever say that again, you know? But it is true, though. It is a new me. For me, it's everything is different than i ever known it to be. It's like, I know what I enjoy now. I'm I'm successful. You can see, dude, I'm successful. I do great. I have, you know, a great network of people. And for me, it's like I'm I'm eating and hanging out with dudes like, you're an awesome guy, shit. Yeah, you get your swell on it. You get your swell on at the gym. Oh, man. Yeah, it is the dream, dude. And and like you say, like uh, you know, the the new you, and and that's the thing is like if I'm feeling anxiety is not like a anxiety is not like a you know, hey, the anxiety monster is under my bed. Can you check for it? And then someone says, hey, it doesn't exist. It, it's real. You know, my heart will start racing. I'll start sweating. I don't want to talk. I'm socially awkward. And, and then other people are like, oh, I don't see it because you're outgoing. I'm outgoing when I have the energy to be outgoing. Exactly. And and even now in my recovery, I have to learn how to address the situations where I don't, you know, if I'm not feeling it today, if I'm not feeling that social scene, if I'm not feeling like being outgoing, I need to stop exerting myself because it, I almost come off as fake. I come off as uncomfortable and awkward. Um, Adam, what words of hope can you give to people looking to get clean? Listen, I'm still, last two weeks, I've been depressed. Did, I mean, I have a life people listen. I'm not bragging or not, but I got it pretty fucking good. And I have no reason to not want to get out of bed in the morning. And for the last two weeks, it's like I didn't feel like doing nothing. Like waking up scared of the world. But what I told myself is that during that time when I've learned to be aware, I'm like, this is what I'm supposed to be depressed. So I enjoyed my depression, you know? So I watched some good movies. I told people at work, you know, how I'm feeling. And I was vocal about it. So what words of hope I can share with everybody is you got to speak the fuck up. You know, don't hold anything in. Like for me, however I feel, communication is key. So that's not much of hope, but that's much of fact, you know. For people out there who are struggling with it, don't get in your head. You know, whether it's mental illness, whether it's drug addiction, whether it's with your relationship with your mom or your girlfriend, you got to speak up what you're thinking because when you think in your head doesn't make sense sometimes when you talk it out. If you're feeling depressed, share with other people that you're depressed. Like you said, Shane, like if you get anxiety about something, like sometimes I'm like, honey, I don't feel like going there because I'm not ready to go do that. You know, and that makes the world of a difference. So the ideas of hope is, I mean, I got out of jail making, making fucking $200 every two weeks, man, and I just toughed it out. And I toughed it out and toughed it out, and I did what I wanted to do. And I did everything for myself. I wasn't a slave to nobody. I didn't. After I got myself in a comfortable ground and footing, you know, I tested the waters. I went out a little bit and it came home. 
I do this a little bit and came back. I make sure I always drive my own car to places. And I got what I call plug <laughs> Like, I can go through kickboxing. I can go to the gym. I can go to Marshalls and get a T-shirt. I can go to the library and get a book. I can get in the computer and write. I can play on my dirt bike. I got a motorcycle. I got a go-kart. It's like all these things I have in my life now are all these plugins that when I get in a space where I feel like I want to go get high or I feel like I'm not in the best state of mind, I have a million things to choose from. I have a long list of things. So that's my hope. And, like, my hope was in myself. And I actually ended up coming to fruition where, you know, every day I get up and I live my own life now, which is phenomenal. Well, and, you, and you still see, you still go and see your therapist? Yep, still okay. go see my therapist. Well, my mom owns a treatment, my mom owns a treatment center. Oh, okay. Program here. So for me, it's like I show up to the offices over there, and um, it's like I'm the king of the crazy sometimes. It's a mental health program, and I come there. And like I just say that as a joke, but like I'm the one who's been through it. I did it all, so it comes out, you know, to them as being more helpful. Adam, we're gonna uh, we got to wrap this up, and so um, we want to just um, um, thank you for uh, coming on. This is tremendous, and we'd love to have you back on again. And um, yeah, for sure, the day, the, the day my book gets here at Prince Sham, I'm gonna show it to you, man. Adam, Adam, one more thing. You said uh, you said there's an interview with you coming out with. Uh, can you talk on that, or is that? Yeah, uh, Entertainment Weekly just came and they did a story oh, okay. on me. It's coming out April seventh. It's on uh, my mom's treatment center, OSHA's medical centers, and my life and how it changed. Since I, uh, you know, got on all that kind of trouble. Will we be around. seeing you on TV again? I don't know. We'll see what happens. I'll push the envelope. I'll let my mom. I'll let my mom know. Maybe, maybe I'll see you on The Voice, dude. Yeah, and, and tell your mom too. <laughs> hey, tell your mom that 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 Adam. I don't think Adam was bullying hey, Adam, anybody. Adam, though, I, I, you know, the the great thing is you keep mentioning your mom and your family, and how privileged yeah. are we to be clean and sober and have our families back in our lives. Oh, it's the best. But you know what? No matter what, they're still worried sick. It's going to go to shit. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right, Adam, um, I just want to thank you again, Adam Jasinski, uh, winner of Season 9, Big Brother, author, interventionist, public speaker, life coach, amazing person. Um, and uh, I would love to have you back on the show. Thank you once again for listening. And tune in next week. We have more guests coming. And, Adam, please do your best on Prices Right to get, to get up right, there to that wheel, sir. Spin that wheel. All right, Stay Adam, good. Yeah. Bye, Adam. Bye-bye. Bye, guys. Thanks for listening. Google us and um, message us, right, Shane? Rock bottom to recovery. Shoot us a message. (laughs) Give him the number. Shane was just looking to close right out. I was looking to close right out. So it's the Rock Bottom to Recovery podcast. If you guys ever want to call, it's 1-888-415-9139. We thank you once again for tuning in, listening. and yeah. um, We did have we some messages, it, too. We, we had some messages. Some people sent us okay, messages. Awesome, awesome. Send so us messages. Um, and like I say, like next week, tune in. Uh, I'm up in the air with the guest. It actually might be just me and Bill talking. Oh, um, but you guys love us, good. so that's okay. All right. Thank you very much. Take care. Guys, bye-bye.